Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today is part two of the cooking from scratch slash kitchen Q&A. This is something I did last week on the podcast. I put out on my Instagram, what questions do you guys have for me about cooking and kitchen stuff? And I got so many that I decided to break it into two parts and I'm going to tackle that today. My name is Lisa, mom of six and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. How does your cooking change from winter to summer? Typically in the winter, I do a lot of squash, like butternut squash, acorn squash, spaghetti squash, lots of potatoes, lots of bone broth and soups and heavier meals, like maybe a chili. But in the summer, or especially like right now in the spring, greens are readily available. We have some growing in our garden. We have lots of herbs. We went to a produce stand and they grew several in their greenhouse. So lots of salads. Year round, I'll serve sauerkraut and we eat meat, but a lot of the like stew meat, I like to make those in the winter. I've been making lately lots of sourdough bread and doing some sandwiches more often than I typically do in the winter. I like to cook with what's available in the winter. It's lots of root vegetables and things like that. But right now there's also lots of eggs available because the hens lay a lot more. And so I can, I have access to those more readily. So we'll eat a ton of eggs in the spring and summer. Once the light starts dying down and the days are shorter, you can't get quite as much of that. We eat a ton of eggs. I'll have fresh herbs in just about everything right now, whereas it's a lot of dried in the winter and lots of greens, lots of fresh things. I'm so excited for that. We'll be heading over to a local you pick place and picking all kinds of fresh seasonal berries peaches, apples, in addition to the, you know, strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, this place that we have near us does everything all summer long. There'll be something else new and I'll be using a lot of that. So lots of that kind of stuff. Whereas in winter, of course, that's not available and we'll do more frozen things. Okay. So another person asked that my sourdough always separates. It's watery on top. What's wrong? I get that question at least three times a day, probably at least. That just means that it's a little bit underfed that you need to feed it more often. Also, you can increase the amount of flour. So maybe change it to a cup of flour, three quarters cup of water, and you shouldn't be having that problem anymore. Sourdough is so individual based on the temperature and based on the environment, what kind of flour you're using. Everything is a guideline. I do find that it happens that I get so many questions because people want it to be more of an exact thing. It's something that you have to watch and adjust and pivot as your sourdough starter, as you get familiar with it, because it will be different from person to person and so will recipes. So yeah, if you're seeing that water layer on top, just add a little bit more flour and feed a little bit more often because it could also be that homes are getting warmer now too and they become hungry more quickly. Can you talk about canning, fermenting, and pickling? I have canned, but I don't love canning. I'm more of a fermenter. Now, once we get growing our own food more, we've expanded the garden. We're adding tons of new things around here. We just added some fruit trees and some berries and we even got 
got some grapes and we doubled the size of our garden. So I know at some point I'll be doing more canning, but at the moment I mostly just focus on fermenting. I talked about this in podcast episode 15. I went quite into depth on how to ferment, but it's it's really so simple. It just involves salt and vegetables and sometimes water. So yeah, I do a lot of that and I try to keep it really simple. We have sauerkraut going right now on the counter and it should be ready in a few days. We almost always have some kind of fermented vegetable going. It's an easy thing to incorporate once you get really used to it. Have you tried a starter with almond flour? I have not. Sourdough starters need starch and I do believe that almond flour is not starchy enough to make a sourdough starter. There are quite a few different grains that you can make sourdough starters with. I've heard of oatmeal, brown rice, buckwheat, obviously wheat. There are a lot of ways you can go with it, but I don't know that almond flour is one of them. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never heard of that. Is coconut oil on your recipes? Can it be replaced with ghee or butter and in which ratio? Equal parts, it totally can. Just equal parts. You might wanna use unsalted butter, otherwise it'll turn out a little bit more salty. Do you feed starter before putting it in the fridge? About eight-ish hours before. So I wouldn't feed it and then put it straight in the fridge. I will feed it and then like this morning I fed, no, you know what? I didn't feed my starter. I need to feed my starter. I haven't fed it since yesterday morning. But I would, I'm probably going to feed it tonight and then let it sit out all night. And then in the morning I will either make something with it or I will pop it in the fridge. I'm not sure what I'm going to make tomorrow. I probably will make pancakes or crepes, so I'll make something with it and then feed it again after I do that. Or I'll pop it in the fridge, and then next time I want to make something, I'll pull it out of the fridge, and I'll just use it straight away. I do find that you have better results with room temperature sourdough starter, so as opposed to pulling it right out of the fridge and making pancakes, letting it come to room temp. However, I oftentimes do make pancakes right away with cold starter right out of the fridge that I haven't fed in an entire week. If you've ever made my pancakes, you know that when you pour the baking soda in, it'll foam up and get really bubbly and just be this light, nice, fluffy batter. It won't do that as much if it's cold, but it still will work. So if you want best results, it needs to be room temperature, fed within the last six hours, but you can also pull it out of the fridge, use it cold, and you haven't fed it in a week. So again, sourdough starter instructions are so loose. It's more of that art form kind of thing. You'll get used to it. If it doesn't turn out, make croutons type of thing. But uh, yeah, I've done it always. Someone asked, how do you replace sourdough for a recipe that has yeast in it? The typical recommendation for this is one packet of yeast, which is about two and a half to three teaspoons of yeast, I believe, is equivalent to a cup of sourdough starter as far as the rising power goes. Now, me personally, I don't usually measure it quite like that. I'll just let it rise longer and I find that I have the same results. So to adjust a regular recipe to become a sourdough recipe, what you need to do is remove the yeast, remove from the recipe. If you're adding a packet of yeast, so you're going to add a cup of sourdough starter, remove from the recipe, a cup of the flour component and a cup of the liquid component. That will be your cup of sourdough starter. So let's say that our recipe, it's a bread recipe. It calls for six cups of flour. I'm totally making this up. So this might be way too much water. Uh, three cups of water, a teaspoon of yeast and a half teaspoon of salt. You could take away a cup of flour. So it'll be five cups of flour 
take away a cup of water. So it'll be one cup of water, add a cup of sourdough starter, and then add uh, the salt as usual. You can pretty much do that with any recipe. You can adjust it to long fermentation. So say you have a gluten sensitivity and you want to soak something overnight. So say you have like your favorite banana bread recipe and you want to make sure that all the grains in it have been fermented. You can add sourdough starter. Now, banana bread doesn't have yeast, so you want to take any yeast out, but you will take out a cup of the flour component, but you will soak overnight all of the liquid from the recipe, I don't usually do the egg part, but like if there's any honey in it or milk or water with the flour and the sourdough starter. Now you will take out, it's like, let's say you added a half a cup of starter. You'll take a half a cup of the flour portion out and a half a cup of any liquid, additional liquid out because that will already have been in the sourdough starter. So hopefully that makes sense. It's a pretty simple equation. This day and age, there is enough interest in sourdough that pretty much any recipe you want to make will have a sourdough version. So you, you really could just search for that and not have to worry about doing all the conversions yourself. Okay. My sourdough spoiled after seven to eight days. Why? I would ask this person a few troubleshooting questions. Like how do you know it's spoiled? Because a lot of times I find that people will throw out a sourdough starter when it's not actually spoiled. So it might have a little bit of a funny smell. It might not be bubbling up as much, but a lot of times you just have to push past that phase and it'll, it'll take it a little bit for the yeast and the bacteria and everything to find a balance, but it eventually will. And so it's rare that a sourdough starter would actually go bad. It can happen, I suppose. I've never personally had it happen, but it can. I think more often than not, we're quick to throw them away whenever they still have a chance at pulling through and coming out of that phase. And it does happen sometimes that it bubbles a ton on days three and four, and then it goes through a period where it's trying to find that balance. I'll link some articles in the show notes that I've read about things like this, and you can check it out because I know that this is a common issue. Healthy solid foods for babies. So Daniel, he is seven months currently, and we have not started solid foods yet. I don't really do baby food. I just wait until the baby can pick up what we're eating. So the past week or so, a couple of times I've taken like a tiny bit of banana and put it on his tray. This morning I actually put a little bit of egg on his tray. He's not picking it up. He's trying. He's like throwing his hand at it and kind of smearing it. And I don't think anything made it into his mouth. So really I won't do anything until he can actually grab the food and put it in his mouth. Some things that I'll do, like I said, eggs, bananas, avocado, anything that's a little bit mushy. I'll do little bits of sourdough pancake, but with uh, no honey in it, just because babies can't have honey or a little bit of sourdough bread, just tiny, tiny bits. See if they can pick it up. If they can't, don't stress it. I don't worry about food until at least closer to a year. It's not something I worry about for a 12 month old or a seven month old. I don't do any cereals or you know oats or rice or fruits and vegetables. I just wait until they can pick it up. Things that are high in fat, high in protein, you know, any fruit or vegetable, those are all good, but it's always best just to stick with breast milk or formula. Those are complete. They have all of the protein and everything, the fat, that they need to develop. So I think that it's become more understood recently. I think pediatricians are giving the advice to hold off more now. Like when Ruthie was born, they were saying four months, you should feed them rice cereal. Back when we were kids, my parents have told me that they fed you rice when you were like six weeks old. They don't really tell you that anymore. The more research that's available, it's 
pretty widely held, I think, at least from my understanding, that they don't really need to eat any food until 12 months. Now they do and they can and it's all good, but they don't have to. So, you know, don't stress if your baby doesn't want to eat food. They definitely don't have to. And you don't have to worry about it. I remember with Ruth, I would make homemade baby food and spend all this time. It's not something that I worry about for Daniel at all. Do you cook seafood for your family? I really don't. It's not that I'm against it or anything. I just have never gotten into it. I do cook some canned salmon. That's about the extent of my seafood cooking to make salmon burgers. We actually had those today. And sometimes I'll make salmon fillets. The problem is sourcing. I live in the Midwest. We don't really have access to good seafood. And a lot of times the stuff that you get at the store is farm raised, not the best practices. And it's just, I know if I walk into Aldi and grab salmon or tilapia, it's not good quality. And so it's something that I can't get. I can get local deer. I can get local beef. I can get pork, but I can't get that. And I can get eggs, lots of protein sources that are local and fresh. So I don't usually do much seafood. Do you drain the hamburger meat in your sourdough skillet recipes before adding the topping? I don't drain meat, but I also only buy grass-fed beef, so there just isn't any fat. Go to easy meals when things get busy. I love those salmon patties. Those are easy and quick and you know you don't have anything thought out, so that's really easy. Eggs are the best like I have nothing to make type of food. Again, you don't have to thaw them out. You can throw any veggies with them. If you happen to have some tortillas on hand, you could make a burrito of some kind, throw in some peppers and onions. My main tip for throwing together a meal in no time flat is having meat thawed out and lots of veggies. You can cook anything when you have that. So right now I have in my uh, refrigerator a nine by 13 skillet with some deer meat in it, some pork chops, some sausage. And over the course of the next week, I will create something with those. I will make some veggies. Maybe I'll steam some carrots or cut up an avocado, cook some meat, throw some herbs on. But in like a real pinch, we come home and it's like, okay, we need to get food, get in bed. I don't have any sourdough bread made. If I did, you know, you could throw together a sandwich really quick. If you don't have any of that on hand, if you have eggs, make sure there's tons of eggs in your fridge and you'll have a meal. You can throw some cheese on top. Again, an avocado with that would be really good. That is my go-to fast food. How do to cook meat really well. Mine is always too dry. I'm worried about it being done. I get that. That is something I've become more comfortable with the more I cook, knowing when something is done but not deadly. That just comes with experience. Chicken's one of those things that really suffers from overcooking, but at the same time, you don't want to undercook it. I think just the more you do it, the more you'll know what is done and what is overcooked. Sometimes, you know, you can follow a recipe, but a lot of times there's so many variations and different factors that, you know, you might have a bigger chicken and so it might not be done in the middle, whereas the person who was showing you how to make it might have only had a three pound chicken. There's so much variety in that, that there just is no replacement for getting familiar with it. Now, if you are really concerned about chicken, something I've done to cook the chicken the rest of the way. So say you make a whole chicken and it's still not really done in, in the middle, but the outside is starting to get really done. You can cut it off the bone, throw it in a skillet, a cast iron skillet with some butter and finish off cooking it there. Add some salt, some herbs. That way, if it does get a little bit overdone, you have that additional fat and flavoring to make it taste better. You can definitely, if you are in the learning process still and you're, you're still not sure, that's a good way to infuse some flavor so that it tastes great. Does your cast iron skillet smell 
smoke or how do you keep your cast iron skillet from smoking? This just comes from preheating it too much. It will smoke because there'll be a little bit of oil down in the pores of the cast iron. Pretty much every time I have my four skillets going, I love it because I can get everything cooked really quickly. But every time I do that, I do set off the smoke detector. But every time I'm cooking with two cast iron skillets or less, I don't. So if you're not really attentive to the skillet and you let it overheat, it will smoke. But I find that when I get in the groove of cooking something, so I'll preheat everything, get it nice and hot, and then I turn it down to just the right level of medium. There's a fine line. There's the medium that does not cook the food properly or it sticks because it didn't hit a nice hot skillet. And then there's the medium that overcooks it. You have to find that fine line. And a lot of times, you know, I'm adjusting skillets. And so one will be going and get too hot and it'll set the smoke detector off. So if it overheats, it will definitely smoke. I'll just turn it down and give it a minute or turn it off and let it cool a touch before I continue cooking with it so that I don't cook on that smoky skillet. Things that I usually cook on a four skillet operation are tortillas, English muffins, pancakes, crepes. Yeah, that's usually when I will uh, sometimes neglect one and set off the smoke detector. What is a dish you have been too afraid to try and make from scratch? I know. Well, I tried and that was gluten-free sourdough bread. So I totally tried. I took photos. It looked like bread and I just did not want to put that on my blog. <laughs> Maybe I just am not familiar with how gluten-free bread is supposed to taste, but it did not pass for bread in my book. And so I don't really want to try again. Kind of gave up on that one. So yeah, I would say gluten-free sourdough bread is a fail that I am afraid to continue trying. Lots of questions about meal planning. Do you usually make a menu for a week or just cook what's in your fridge? Do you meal plan? So I did talk more about this in the last episode and also in my meal planning podcast episode, episode eight, but I am not a meal planner. What's a recipe or technique you aspire to master? Sourdough einkorn boule. Is that the right way to say that? I'm not even sure if that's the proper way to say that word, but the free form loaves sourdough einkorn. I feel like I've mastered einkorn bread. I've mastered sourdough loaves, the free form loaves with artisan crust. I have not combined the two to create something I'm really proud of. That's something I'm working on. I will share it on the blog whenever I get it, but I'm really wanting to just have that be the bread that I make. So I've experimented with tons of bread, a whole wheat, sourdough loaf, uh, all purpose, free form artisan loaf, einkorn, non-sourdough, but those are all good. But the, the bread that I want to be the bread that I make daily, that my family has on the table to go with meals and grass-fed butter is the sourdough einkorn artisan style. That just seems like the best of every world. You have the fermented grain, you have the ancient grain, the delicious nutty flavor. It seems like the perfect combination of things. So I'm going to hopefully get that right because that is something I want to get more regularly on the table. I bake sourdough bread somewhat regularly, but then there'll be like an entire week or two where I don't bake any. And I want to have that be a better part of my routine because when we have it, we love it and we eat it with every meal. Do you ever get burnt out on cooking? I have six kids pregnant with seventh and in a rut. I get burnt out on cooking anytime it becomes too fancy and overdone. And if I have to create a menu and, you know, shop for certain things, if I do get to that point, I will just try to keep it really simple. Just work on getting proteins in my family. So lots of eggs, lots of veggies, simple things like just 
grass-fed ground beef or some stews or a grass-fed beef roast, things like that. I'll try to make things that I can make in bulk, like a big old pot of soup, big pot of chili, maybe a simple loaf of bread for the side and just serve something over and over again. <laughs> typically. Something easy so that I just don't have to give it much thought. That's usually how I avoid overwhelm. Now, sometimes I'm feeling inspired and it'll be fun to create something new and fancy and exciting, but sometimes there's just too much going on and simplicity is how I can avoid getting in that kind of rut. Also, avoiding things that are difficult. So if life is crazy, maybe don't make sourdough bread. Maybe just serve a simple soup and stew and you know, don't worry about something that requires, you know, like sourdough English muffins. Those are so good and they're actually pretty easy, but it's even easier in the morning than, than having a sourdough English muffin egg sandwich to just have eggs. So if it gets to that point where life is just too crazy, that is typically the first thing to go would be like bread items and I'll go for something a little bit quicker and easier. My sourdough loaves are so sticky. Every time I let them proof, I lose half to the bowl or towel. This is another one of those instances where it depends on how hydrated your starter is, what type of flour you're using, how warm it is in your house. There's so many factors. So if you find that when you are kneading your dough, go more for the feel than the actual cup measurement. So you might need to add a little bit more flour if it feels really sticky whenever it goes in your bowl. Also, you could coat the bowl with a little bit of oil, but again, it shouldn't be quite that sticky. Um, another option would be instead of putting a tea towel over it to put over some plastic wrap or put it in something with a lid because tea towels do tend to stick a little bit more. All right, well, I hope that I answered some of your questions. If you have not yet grabbed my free sourdough ebook, you can get that at bit.ly slash farmhouse sourdough. Thanks as always for listening to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast, and I'll see you in episode 45.